There are 8,000 tractors <laughs> in the haze. Yeah, in your Friday, October 18th, 2019, the day after my birthday, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Molly Quell, Dutch News contributing editor and Amsterdam tram victim, and with me today are Gordon Derrick, the Dutch News Drents correspondent and Mooney member, and Paul Peters, <laughs> our Kim Jong-un fan club president. <laughs> so first of all, I'd like to congratulate you, Paul, and Truby on the occasion of Molly's birthday. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you very much. Yes, Truby thanks you as well. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yes. I, my birthday was yesterday. I yeah. turned 35. It was very exciting. Wow. I would also uh, like to be called uh, the dear leader of the Kim Jong Un. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's a good one. I should have uh, come up with that on my yeah. own. Yeah. Unfortunately. Why are you? Uh, why are you in the Kim Jong Un fan club, Paul? Well, the uh, North Korean um, uh, regime released uh, some photos of Kim Jong Un this week. Mm. He was uh, riding a horse on yeah. a snowy mountain. Yes. And. <laughs> These photos, it, it, it reminded me somehow of, uh, of 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 the photos of Putin uh, bare-chested yeah. on a horse. Yeah. What is it with these weird dictators and their horse riding? I, I don't know. I know, they seem yeah. to be obsessed with it. Yeah. Or some kind of really bad Lord of the Rings outtake. Yeah, <laughs> it's also true. Yeah. <laughs> it could be it as well. But the, the photos were, I have to admit, very majestic. Mm. Yeah. They were very impressive. But yeah, I mean... Uh, he was, he was uh, riding a horse on a sacred mountain. The yes. mountain where his father was born... On Supposedly. A, according to North Korean myth, yeah. according, according yeah. to a North Korean myth, when there were two full moons yes. and uh, <laughs> two rainbows or something, yeah. Yeah. three rainbows. It's it's North Korea. What it's North respect? Korea. Yeah. yeah, you can uh, you can look the myth up if you want. Yeah. Yes. But apparently, whenever he does this, it means there's some big announcement about to happen. And sure enough, the week later, the European Union and the United Kingdom <laughs> agrees an outline deal on Brexit. So that's obviously what we're it was. We're not talking about Brexit on we're, this podcast. We should, no, we're not. No. We're not you want to talk to. about Brexit, you can I don't start want another to. podcast. I don't want to, no, I don't want to talk about Brexit. Yeah. So talk to me about on. Drenta instead. Why? <laughs> <laughs> Why have you been spending all this time in Drenta, Gordon? I've Why are you writing for the Moonies newspaper? I've been spending 20 years in uh, Drenta. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, we know. None, 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 and how many people are in your basement? In all that time, I've, I've never come across anybody hiding in a basement, I have to say. Have you been but looking in the basement? I have. I regularly go down to the basement of my in-law's house because there's lots of very fine wine in there. But oh. uh, but no no families of six. Yeah. Or not, <laughs> or not like noticed, anyway, unless there's a secret door at the you, back of the... Yeah, you know, you know the, 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 the Dutch are famous so, for their secret doors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but usually we have a bookshelf uh, in front of it. Yeah. Yeah, this one uh, did not have a bookshelf in front of it. Maybe that was their problem. Yes, um, but uh, and um, uh, Molly, what happened to you in Amsterdam? I got hit Other by a tram. You, you technically, turned... technically, the bike that I was on got hit by a tram. You, 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 you became a tourist for a day. Basically. I did become a tourist for a day. Yeah. I got clipped by a tram while cycling <laughs> in the city center yeah. in Amsterdam on Tuesday night. I am now very black and blue and yeah. extremely grumpy about the whole thing. But because you're on au fait feet and these things are actually built to withstand being hit by trams. Yeah, the au fait feet was fine. It's me. <laughs> it was not fine. And when I returned to the au fait feet, I was telling the guy like. Yeah, just in case you want to look at it. And he was like, no, it's fine. This happens all the time. <laughs> Which makes me have a lot of safety concerns about cycling in Amsterdam on homemade pizza. But, you know, here we go. So what is our... Uh, there's been a lot going on this week, man. So maybe it's just for me. The, yeah, uh, both international and yeah. uh, in the Netherlands. Um, but there was also some OPEF, of course. There's always, of course. Op- there's always OPEF. OPEF. Uh, 
Uh, last week we told you about the news that it was highly likely that the major renovation project for the parliamentary Binnenhof complex would be delayed by at least a year before it even started. This week junior interior minister Raymond Knops confirmed that this will indeed be the case. The Binnenhof renovation is the latest building project that is uh, suffocated by the ongoing stickstoff saga, which we will talk about later on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Too much. Um, it does mean, however, that our very beloved Prinsjesdag... Sorry, what's that? Budget day. Budget day, yes. Uh, <laughs> it will uh, be held in uh, the Riddersaal at least a year longer before another location has to be found. Okay. And it was uh, Gert-Jan Segers, the leader of the ChristenUnie, who suggested that uh, during the verbouwing of the Binnenhof, Prinsjesdag should be held not in The Hague, but in one of the countless smaller provincial cities somewhere in the country. Mm. Uh, he named Maastricht, Middelburg or Den Bosch as one of the possible alternative cities. Other political parties re- reacted disapprovingly to the idea, such as the CDA, who said it was uh, an, it is an important tradition that Prinsjesdag takes place in The Hague. And of course, the suggestion was uh, uh, the suggestion led to a lot of jokes and ridicule on the internet, with people uh, naming cities like Etteleur, Enschede and Roedevarensveen and many other places more depressing than the other as possible alternative locations to Prinsjesdag. Yeah. I suggested Urk. Urk. As yeah. I always do for yeah. this. You always do these things, yeah. yeah. Or rectum. Poor Urk. So, rectum, yeah. We should do it of sex beer. Okay, maybe this is going to be an unpopular opinion. I actually think this is a charming and good idea. And I that think they should so do as well. It. I yeah. kind of do. Yeah. But yeah. it's not going to happen, is it? No. But I do kind of, yeah, see the appeal. I think it would be really nice to, like, have to do it in Maastricht. I mean, there's plenty of beautiful old buildings that whatever the king can stand in front of and take nice pictures yeah. before and they can wear their fancy hats and it'll be fine for a day. I think it's a lovely idea. Maybe they can use the provincial house of uh, Groningen. Their door is <laughs> the already open. Also open. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There's also space uh, just become available in Drenthe as well. It's <laughs> <laughs> a nice farmhouse there, I hear. I was thinking about starting an uh, escape room in it. <laughs> this week, Gordon is going to bring you an update on his favorite part of the Netherlands. Paul has a story about a bird. And I'm going to talk about how things are not blooming in Amsterdam. In this discussion, we will talk more about the farmers' protests. A remote farmhouse in Drenthe gave up a startling secret this week when it emerged that six children and their father had been living in isolation there for nearly a decade. The eldest of the six, who's now 25 years old, turned up in a bar in the village of Raunervold and said he'd never gone to school or been outdoors for the last nine years. Police went to the house on Bouterhauserweg and discovered a staircase hidden behind a cupboard that led to a series of makeshift rooms. Six people aged 18 to 25 were found to be living there with their father, who was in bed having suffered a stroke three years ago. A 58-year-old man was arrested and appeared in court on Thursday, accused of depriving seven people of their liberty. He's been detained in custody for another two weeks, and since then the 67-year-old father has also been arrested on the same charges of deprivation of liberty and money laundering, because they found a huge pile of cash in the uh, in the room as well. Yes, yeah. they did. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yes. So what do we what do we know about these guys? Yeah. So the uh, the man who was arrested first, uh, the 58 year old man, was identified as Josef Bay. Uh, he's from Austria, so he's known in the area as Josef the Austrian. Can I can I ask a question? Yeah. What is wrong with 60 year old Austrian men? This called, is not, called Josef. This is not the first time that no. they have been caught, sort of keeping a bunch of adults locked up in a basement somewhere. Yeah, it's kind of strange. Yes, yeah, yeah. We got to talk you're, to you're Austria Josef, man. Fritzl. Basically, if, if you yeah, if you're a parent in Austria, don't call your child Josef. Yeah, that's, seems like a or Adolf. Or Adolf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, doesn't that happen so much anymore? Um, he was 58 years old. He worked as a handyman and carpenter. Uh, residents said they often saw his Volvo car driving around the area, and he would, they often saw him dropping off wood at the house. He doesn't seem to have had very much contact with the neighbours, and nobody seems to have been aware that anyone else was living there. 
It was a rented farmhouse, but the uh, landlady, Alidia Tanufa, inherited it in 2015 from an aunt. She said he always paid the rent on time and there was no reason whatsoever to suspect anything. So if they arrived in 2010, where, mm. had, they, where had they been hiding uh, before? Uh, before then, they, uh, they lived in Hasselt, in Offerreisel, oh. uh, and former neighbours there. They did, didn't live in totalization at that point, and they said that Josef Bey moved in next door to the family um, and obviously became uh, friends with them because he made a connecting door between their two gardens so that they could... Uh, cross into each other's property without having to go into the street. Did he put a uh, bookshelf in front of the At door? that point, I don't think there were any sh- shelves or cupboards involved, no. Right. Police also searched a boarded-up shop in Svartslaus called Natural Homes, which was a strong contender for the title of Overreisel's creepiest toy <laughs> shop, um, <laughs> as well as a woodworking business in Meppel called Creative Economy. Um, At least it's not called Shop of the Pop. Yeah, that's, yes, that's true. true. Yeah, Other family members uh, told Dutch media that there were three older children originally who moved away while the family was living in Hasselt. Um, so this is such a weird story. It's a weird story, yeah. and it just keeps getting weirder, and yeah. they keep bringing yeah. out weird details. So, yeah. and was then, he uh, holding the family hostage, Gordon? Well, uh, that's just one of many theories, and uh, what the police are trying to find out. Um, a statement said it was from the police said it wasn't clear if they were living in the cellar voluntarily or not. And then came a further twist on Thursday when it emerged that uh, the family, or the father of the family, was at one point a member of the Moonies. The Moonies. The Moonies. Yes, which uh, through yeah, which cast a whole different light on the whole thing. Oh, I thought I escaped the Moonies when I left, left <laughs> DC, but no, 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 they followed they you. Followed, followed me. you to the Netherlands. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also known as the Unification Church, uh, the father Gerrit Jan was said to have been kicked out of the church around 30 years ago because he quote started getting weird ideas. How can you get any weirder than the <laughs> ideas that the Moonies already have? Exactly. Yeah. What, what counts as weird ideas in the context of the Moonies? Who knows? But that was what a nephew told uh, a, a day. This is the father that was arrested last night. Yes, he was arrested last night. Yeah. Um, so yes, yeah, so, but he, but he, uh, he. He was in the Moonies, and then he'd married in the Moonies in one of their famous mass um, uh, mass weddings. Can you tell the listeners like what what are? I mean, I I was very surprised because, of course, like if you live in DC, you're very mm. familiar with them. They run a very popular right wing newspaper there that Gordon likes to write for sometimes. <laughs> these, uh, are, these are lies and scandals. <laughs> this is not true. You've written for the Washington <laughs> Times before, Gordon. But so I, I'll we're, I'm very familiar with them, and they used to like try to recruit when I was in campus, uh-huh. and, like, when I was in university. Successfully and stuff. recruit, of course. Yes. Um, I do love a good mass wedding ceremony. Yeah. Uh, but I'm, I'm. It turns out most people are not familiar with I'm the not, Moonies. I'm most not people in Europe are much all. less familiar with the so Moonies. So tell us about the Moonies. Yeah. So well, I mean, very very briefly, it's it's a Christian cult. Um, founded in the 1950s by the South Korean uh, uh, charlatan and convicted tax dodger Sun Myung Moon. <laughs> they always are convicted tax dodgers. Yeah, uh, he, the, the, the Moonies first arrived in the Netherlands in 1965. Um, it's a very secretive organization. They live off donations, uh, known for their curious ceremonies, including mass weddings, uh, also known as holy blessings, and uh, very elaborate funerals. Uh, yes, core beliefs include things like the concept of uh, indemnity, which basically means performing good deeds to repay your debt to God obviously for no payment and to atone for your sins I mean and, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm down with that as a philosophy I guess that you have to like do nice things to repay like if you're a bad person you should go out and do nice things in society yeah, we know that they re- successfully recruited you Molly but you don't have to it's true yeah do nice things or make strange wooden toys I mean the any of those things seems fine it's yeah. writing for a right wing like newspaper that I that that's where I would draw my line so right. yeah <laughs> okay um <laughs> Uh, members are required to perform these bizarre rituals, including walking in circles every half an hour, which was uh, one of the problems when the family were rehoused in a holiday park in Drenthe. Um, they had to be moved again because the other residents were disturbed by the sight of them circling around their caravan. Actually, guys, I have to. Um, I need to go. 
I need to go do a do a thing. What? Just walk in circles. Walk in circles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's time. <laughs> Josef Bey's estranged brother, Franz, was interviewed in Austrian media and he said his brother, quote, felt he was better than Jesus. I mean, so do I, but... There are a lot of parallels here. Yeah, there's there's a lot of parallels. No, but this guy's brother was like, when I heard about this, I thought, yeah, that could be my brother, but I waited for there to be more details before I confirmed anything. Mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. like, wow, that's uh, makes for interesting Christmas dinner, I bet. The solar-powered car, built by Delft University engineers, has burned through a heap of ash just 300 kilometers from the finish in the World Solar Challenge in Australia. The Delft team uh, were leading the race in the uh, Nuna X when the uh, driver spotted smoke and was able to escape. We have clear protocols and the safety of the driver is paramount, spokeswoman Amy klein Holkenborg said. That is why we were not able to put out the flames. The cause of the fire has not been established yet and the team say they will study the video recordings to try to find out what happened. The car was made entirely of carbon fiber. It is the first time in 20 years that the Delft team will not have completed the 3021 kilometer race to Adelaide. They have won seven times, including the previous three. And on Wednesday, the team from Trento University had to pull out after a strong gust of wind blew their car from the road, causing serious damage. The Trento team was also leading the race at that time. In total, 53 teams from 24 different countries are taking part, including teams from Eindhoven, Enschede and Groningen. The Eindhoven team is taking part in the race for cruisers, which involves energy usage and uh, comfort as well as speed. There's a Belgian team, I think, that was in the lead, at least. Oh no, there's a Belgian team in the lead? So how do you, I mean, how do you This makes this disaster even worse. Yeah, so how do you feel about this if you're the Belgian team, right? Because, like, first the Dutch car that's in the lead gets blown off the road. Mm. Then the Dutch car that's in the lead gets caught on fire and burns to a heap (laughs) of ash. And now you're winning. So do you feel like this is a good win for you? Or are you just like, man, we just lost out to these Dutch people again just on a technicality <laughs> i think they're just happy to to be the winners mm. of the race yeah. and maybe they're just happy that their car didn't blow into yeah. a fire pit or something <laughs> <laughs> in general if your car doesn't finish and that doesn't really count as a win does it whatever yeah i don't know i mean I yeah know. but i think it's not as nice of a win if you like mm. if you're running in a marathon and you're yeah. like almost to the finish line and you're in second place and then like the person who's in front of you trips and falls and then you win i feel like sure you won but it's like not as good of a win i i, I think yeah, for the winner it doesn't matter but isn't, part of, the ch- so? isn't yeah. part of the challenge making a car that's actually able to go the distance yeah and this one didn't yeah although they they fire. were saying that the uh that the wind gust thing they thought was just kind of like a freak accident mm-hmm. and they felt quite bad for the, well, the, team. the delft team also sounds like a freak accident yeah but the, i guess it's a freak accident that you can kind of blame on them as engineers right yeah. because something caught on fire whereas like the wind is like an act yeah. of god no but... that's true mm-hmm. um the, the funny thing is on the campus on the delft university campus they uh, sort of uh, put all these kangaroos mm-hmm. on on the campus the map of australia with the route mapped out on it and uh, as i was going uh, to the university i already saw that they were removing these yeah. Uh, these signs poor poor solar poor poor guys yeah well have another chance next year yeah in news that shook this country to its rock solid except in Groningen foundation most bulbs bought from the flower market in Amsterdam don't bloom. Just 1% of bulbs bought on the Bloemenmarkt actually flowered, according to research undertaken by the Dutch Bulb Growers Association, the KEV Bay. Of course we have an organization that's for dedicated for this. Yes, and it's probably royal because it well, starts with a K. K. Yeah. Yes, I was just thinking that. 
this research was undertaken on behalf of the city council, because, of course, the city council funds these sorts of things. <laughs> Founded in 1862, the Blumenmarkt was the world's only floating flower market. Uh, originally, it sold trees and plants. These days, it's mostly pre-packed bulbs, wooden tulips, and cheap souvenirs rather than flowers. Earlier this year, the last stall which sold made-to-order bouquets closed down. On Thursday, the Ka'ebe Bay issued a formal advisory about the bulbs. Yeah, because not only do you have an organization about this, <laughs> it can issue formal advisories. Yes. And probably fines as yes. well. Yeah. And there was a special mention as well for the blue and black tulips, yes, they, which are widely sold. They're widely the... sold, but they don't exist. Yes, they're actually not possible biologically. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it turns out not only do many of them not bloom, but the ones that do bloom very often do not match like what is on the packaging. Yeah. How did they undertake this study? So basically, a bunch of people from a research agency went undercover, they went around, they bought 1,364 bulbs from different places, they planted them under certain conditions, and then they reported the total number of the blooms. Did they keep all the bonnages? They kept as well? all the bonnages. <laughs> so we the have... Ka'ave Bay does not fuck around. <laughs> yeah. They keep all their bonnages. Yeah. So the Ka'ave Bay have undercover agents. Yeah. Who undercover put... flower buyers. Undercover flower yeah. buyers. Mm. Oh. This is, just, That's, a, uh, this is the Dutch. This is a job ever. I want. Yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it wasn't just in Amsterdam. No, right? it was not. Uh, similar results were booked on the so called Bloemenballen Boulevard in Lisa, <laughs> which is the town at the heart of the tulip industry. Mm. It's also where the uh, Kokenhof is. That's, the, yes. of it. That's yeah. the Holland equivalent of the Hunnebed Highway. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. Just 2% of the bulbs bought from market stalls there, so slightly better, uh, went on to bloom. Are they just selling junk? or? Yeah, uh, I think they're just yeah. selling like crappy bulbs. There was an, uh, an academic researcher a sort of flower bulb expert who is saying that essentially what this comes down to is like the conditions that the bulbs are kept in because mm-hmm. they have to be kept under certain like sort of conditions and they're just not and they, they get wet and they yeah. mold and like that kinds of things or they dry out and these sorts of things but it, clearly the people who are selling them don't care because they're no. just selling them to tourists and the tourists go home and plant them and then they forget them anyway and like yeah. it's just not a yeah although no we, uh, trap. it's amazing they have such a bad success rate like 99 percent fail yeah, yeah. and yet nobody's ever seems to have noticed well the word hasn't so got What's interesting about that is one of our colleagues uh, went out to do some interviews on this about this story and found this very nice German lady that she interviewed who was saying, no, 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 like my bulbs bloom all the time. Mm. I've bought them multiple times from here. So there are people who are uh, supporters of the Blumenmarkt. The Dutch men's football team are within touching distance of qualifying for their first major tournament since 2014. It's about after, time. About time, yeah. yeah. After snatching a win at home to Northern Ireland last week, on Sunday they travelled to Minsk to take on the might of Belarus. <laughs> Jorginho Wijnaldum seemed to have put them on course for a routine victory with two first-half goals, including a splendid strike from long range. But early in the second half, Stanislav Dragun pounced on some slack defending to pull a goal back, and it was squeaky bum time from then until the final whistle. Aronia are on top of the group, level on points with Germany, and if they can draw their next match away to Northern Ireland, they will qualify. So fetch down your box of orange tat from the attic, you're going to be needing it. (laughs) And it was also some success for uh, the male Dutch cyclists. Yes, last, uh, after Tom Dumoulin crashed out of the Giro d'Italia and Stefan Kreiswijk came up short in the Tour de France, Bauke Mollema has become the first Dutchman in nearly 40 years to win the Tour of Lombardy, which is one of the five classic one-day races on the cycling calendar. There's the, so many tours. There's a lot of cycling going on all year round, yeah. yeah. The 32-year-old from Groningen broke away from the field with 19 kilometres to go of the 243-kilometre race in northern Italy, and he finished 16 seconds clear of Alejandro Valverde. The last Dutch winner of the title was Henny Kerber in 1981. 
So a long wait for that. Yeah, Henny Kuiper, he has a lot of these records, all of these tours yeah. and all of these races. Uh, he is the, the last guy, the last Dutch guy who won them. Yeah, it was, it was kind of him and Job Zutemelk. It was the big cyclists in the early 80s, weren't they? I yeah. have no idea. Oh, I don't okay. care at all about cycling. Course, yeah, why uh, do we even get onto this topic? I always hope that they will end up on a tram, <laughs> uh, get hit by a tram or something. Yeah. At least that's spectacular. Yeah. It they should do that. They should do a race on all Faith Eats, so that would be good. Yeah. Yeah, so. yeah that would be... Am- yeah, Tour de Amsterdam. That's a better... Yeah, I d- would d- try to that. dodge the trams. Yeah, yeah, indeed, yeah. Yeah, and you don't shut any... You can, you don't shut anything down. <laughs> no. It's not like one of the... No, no yeah. you just have to get from point A to point B just in, like, normal, everyday Amsterdam life. Oh, wow, this would be... This, would be this is event. genius. We yeah. should yeah. We should put this, this on. Yeah. We should sponsor it. We should sponsor yeah. this, the Dutch News race. Yeah, the Dutch News Tour de Gottegordel. Yeah. A pigeon from Limburg was saved by employees of the animal rescue team. Initially, it was unclear what was wrong with the bird when it was brought in on Monday. It had difficulties with breathing and showed no wounds or clear signs of diseases, leaving the animal medical staff in a mystery. But not long thereafter, the mystery was solved when the pigeon uh, puked out an acorn, which uh, apparently got stuck in its throat. The Animal Emergency Service of Limburg posted a photo of the pigeon and the acorn, which was roughly the same size as its head. What? Yes. Yeah. That's an yeah, enormous it, acorn. It was, yeah, it, especially compared to his head, it was just <laughs> enormous. Uh, the bird, uh, whose name was not disclosed for privacy reasons, uh-huh. was weakened and had to stay a bit longer, but the next day it was free to leave again. And there's more pigeon news, is yeah. there not? Unbelievably. Unbelievably, yeah. there is more pigeon news. Please give us the pigeon news. Um, two pigeons got stuck in a net attached to a balcony on an apartment building in Soest. The birds were spotted by playing children who initially called their dierenambulance, but when they were unable to reach the birds, the fire brigade was called who immediately rushed to the scene where they used a cherry picker. Uh, I used the word hoogwerker, but mm. I wasn't clear what the English translation yeah, it's was. It's cherry picker, mm. okay. or at least in American English. I still do not believe you, but... Yeah, uh, it is. It is. Yeah. I'm just going to say hoogwerker. Um, they used a hoogwerker to reach the balcony. Uh, two birds were brought down and uh, were handed over to the dierenambulance. I, I have two things to say about this. One, we can declare that hoogwerker pe- yeah. Yeah, yeah. is the word for cherry picker, as we have declared budget day to be the word for Prince's dog. <laughs> yeah. I'm willing to do a trade off. Oh, there. yeah, that's, uh, I agree with that. Also, I'm very excited we've brought animal news back in the podcast. Yeah, yeah, it's been yeah. too we've been long. Missing animal news. Yeah, 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 we need to bring back the animal yeah. news. If you've been uh, listening to us, uh, well, uh, our OG listeners. Know. Yeah, our original listeners will know that we used to do a uh, fun animal story every week, every week. But yeah. at some for some reason we stopped doing that. I don't know. News got too serious. Yeah. News got too serious. Yeah, too much uh, has happen- been happening. Lately. And we included Ophef, of course. So yeah, we included Ophef, so that helped balance it out. Yeah. Send an email to podcast at dutchnews.nl if you would like for us to continue doing the yeah. animal news, or if you or have, if you have any segment, news, or if you have any yeah. animal news. Yeah. yeah. After the break, we will be discussing why there were 8,000 tractors in The Hague this week after this word from our sponsors. God, I hope Katie Miller doesn't do a song about it. Hey you. Yes, you listening to this podcast for free. We're really glad you like all of our Ophef coverage and our dick lawyer jokes, but it costs money to bring them to your ears. If you have a few extra bucks and you would like to support the work that we do, you can now back us on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl to donate. We will give a shout out to all of our backers on the podcast. If you donate 50 euros, Gordon will dedicate the next podcast to his love of lavender strope waffles. For 75 euros, I will suffer through one entire football match. For the low, low price of only 100 euros, Paul will vote for the Socialist Party in the next election. So please, go to patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl to support us and to keep Truby fed 
his dog food is extremely expensive. Farmers in the Netherlands are still unhappy with the government, and now they have had a second massive protest on the Mollyfeld. What is going on? We're about to tell you. Yeah, so this is the second time that uh, the farmers came to The Hague. Yeah, um, and the second time we've discussed them in three weeks. Yeah, yeah so. indeed. This will, we, we should rename this in the Farmers News uh, yeah. podcast. Yes. Yeah. But first, what happened this week? So on Monday, convoys of tractors converged on eight provincial government buildings in a coordinated protest against emissions regulations. In Groningen, farmers used a tractor to break down the door to the provincial council offices, which was bad. Then they threw hay at the police barricade that was on the other side, which I found very entertaining. (laughs) Um, Then on Wednesday, they began with a protest in front of the Netherlands National Institute for Public Health and the Environment, or REVM, which is uh, in Bilthoven near Utrecht. Then an estimated 20,000 people drove drove 8,000 or so tractors to The Hague to protest again on the Mollyfeld. Yeah. So why are the farmers revolting? Why aren't they revolting, yeah. <laughs> Gordon? <laughs> the whole thing was kicked off by comments made by Deisessestig MP Chirte Groot, who suggested the farmers might need to cut chicken and pig stock by half to combat nitrogen emissions. There are EU regulations about emissions in environmentally sensitive areas, and the Dutch government had set up a permit system to allow not just farmers, but all businesses to, like, sort of pollute. Uh, the Council of State held earlier this year that that system wasn't legal. We talked about this more when we discussed the protest last time. We will link to that podcast if you want more, like, details on yeah. that. Without going into detail, it's caused an enormous upheaval. Thousands of building projects are on hold, and yeah. the farmers are kicking up a stink because they're being asked to do even more. Well, they're not being asked house. to do anything yet. Well, it was just merely true. a suggestion no. by this guy, and they got pissed yeah. off. So what do the farmers want? Um... Also a good question. They sort of genuinely seem to be calling for the government to like pay more attention to them and for the government and society to be more respectful of their profession. Also, obviously, they want to be able to keep their livestock. They want the government to stop imposing regulations, et cetera, et cetera. The demands are like a bit, yeah. are a bit vague. Yeah. From, from the first protest, it was clear that it wasn't just about this uh, Desa-Sester proposal. Yeah. It wasn't mm. just about the stickstuff saga. It was like a whole bunch of... They basically a whole bunch of grievances that piled up. Yeah, 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 but now uh, they came over a second time. Yes, this Mm -hmm. is the second time. Well, I mean, if if you're counting the provincial protests on Wednesday, this is really the third protest. Yeah, um, which I think you probably should, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. Yeah. Okay. And um, what was the reason that they went to Bilthoven, first of all? I think because they wanted me to get up really freaking early in the morning. Um, REVM is the agency that calculates emissions levels. Um, The farmers are claiming that these calculations are not done correctly. This is not what they were claiming the last time around. Last Mm. time around, they were just mad about this perspective legislation. Anyway, so the farmers are claiming that these calculations are not done correctly and they want that changed. They also apparently want to make death threats against the director, Hans Bruchs, who spoke at the rally and then had to be escorted out by heavily armed police and remains under police protection. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm. That's sad. He's having a rough week. Although he had a very nice interview in Trow, which talked about his reasons for wanting to do this. And he seems like if he just wants to, I would just love to have him over for dinner. He just seems like a delightful, earnest person who genuinely believes that you can just convince people by showing them like the numbers and the models and so but but was the whole protest violent or i this time around i think the protest was much less friendly i was out uh, at both of them um there was a lot 
fewer women this time, like substantially fewer women. Which among the protesters. Among the protesters. Yeah. There was a lot more drinking. There was a lot more shouting. There was a lot more like sort of just kind of tension in the air this time around, I felt. Um, on Monday, of course, they broke down the door in Groningen. They hit a police horse. They needlessly hit a bunch the, of cyclists. The door of the provincial house yeah. in Groningen. Yeah. 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 Yeah, um, and and uh, there has been uh, two arrests. Uh, there's that, been the, yeah, yeah, there's been arrests in Kroninga for that yeah. specific yeah. thing. There was a number of arrests on Wednesday. Police were forced to abandon a blockade on the A12 for their own safety after tractors ignored demands to stop. At least one person was seriously injured. There was a guy who got caught in between a tractor and like another building. It he was one of the protesters, I think. I don't, I don't think they hit like a random person, mm-hmm. but still, they caused a lot of traffic jams. They really disrupted public transportation. They drove tractors into places in the Hague where they weren't supposed to, like on the North. There's like a video of a fake coffin with Yasa Klaver's name on it, which as a side note, it's somewhat interesting that they seem to have so much animosity for Yasa Klaver, who won the Karun Links voted against this legislation in the first place um, a few years ago and also Hrunlings has not been in power yeah, ever so like yeah. why are they yeah. mad at Yasa Klaver yeah. but they're mad at Yasa Klaver sort of, sort of uh, symbolizes yes. the yeah. green movement of yeah. course yeah. and uh, they also uh, threatened to uh, go on the Binnenhof mm. itself and that is why the area around the Binnenhof was blocked by uh, lorries of the, of the, the military. Art of the military. Yes. The yeah. military was yeah. out. So a lot of people, I was seeing a lot of comments on Twitter about how like, oh my God, they've brought out the military. It's such <laughs> a big deal. From the statement that the Hamenta, the Hague gave, basically they were not quite, they had a sense that the pro- farmers were going to do something on Wednesday, but the original plan was to go to Schiphol, not to go to the Hague. So they, by the time they discovered, or by the time it was known that the protest was going to also come to the Malifeld, According to the Hague, they didn't really have time to sort out a lot of the equipment that they would have needed to do these blockades themselves. Basically, like if they had had sufficient notice, they could have just used police vehicles. But because there wasn't enough time and they were very worried about the protest getting out of hand, since after the last time the farmers had broken lots of rules about driving tractors in places they weren't supposed to, Mm. which they did again this time, they wanted the assistance of the military. It wasn't a situation where they were like militarizing this conflict. It was really a situation of like logistics from what I understand. Yeah, but it looked like the conflict Yeah, but it looked really Yeah, it looked really bad. So couldn't that be also one of the reasons why uh, sort of overall atmosphere got, got a little bit more violent and yeah, a little bit more I think aggressive that that ratch- because... I mean, I don't think it was a great... I think the, the from what... I, I mean, I only spoke to the police person, f- the police spokesperson from The Hague, and of course, like, they're not the only ones that were, like, in charge of this operation. Yeah. Um, but they mostly seem to, like were not they were they seemed somewhat regretful that that this was the way that it had to go down because they did seem to think that like having the army involved was like not helping the tension situation yeah I, i'm but, not but, sure about this but they only put the military lorries in place right they didn't no, there actually... was people in mil- military uniform really? too. Okay. yeah well yeah. or the the riot police in the hague also wear fatigues which i don't think is true no, yeah. no, no, no. but yeah. they were you know for the most part it was being run by the police the police were the ones that were mostly on the front lines and the military police were only just standing sort of around these like blockaded kind of areas and while I was there they you know they were running trams in front of Central Station like normal public public transit wasn't supposed to be disrupted by this and then at some point they came through a barricade on the sort of like a little bit further down in the city and started driving the tractors like up and down the tram track lines right in front of Central Station which of course wreaked all kinds of public transit habit and is also like is very unsafe I mean you know there's like overhead Mm -hmm. wires and like this kinds of things so I sort of understand why they definitely wanted a lot of barricades around places like the Binnenhof because it could have gotten really ugly I 
think, over there. Yeah, but, but they obviously anticipated some kind of confrontation and uh, also the fact that the farmers hadn't made clear exactly what they're going to do is it was very unpredictable, yeah. which made it a different atmosphere from your typical kind of very well-organised yeah. Dutch protest. Even what we had you know, two weeks ago when yeah. they all parked in nice, neat rows on the Mallyfelds, yeah. we remarked about that. This kind of had a different, more kind of, mm. uh, yeah... Uh, edgy more yeah a little um, more gritty yeah, yeah. More, the mayor more, more of the Hague seemed flavor. very concerned that if they yeah. started driving tractors down the pedestrian shopping streets which are only one block over but that's what the they Mali did eventually is. you saw yeah. tractors going down those, yeah, you did. those narrow streets but I think yeah. the reason that they wanted so much military assistance is because they were worried that this was going to get out of hand and then people were going to get killed because mm. you know yeah. you're driving these tr- streets are very narrow they're super populated like lots of people are walking on them you know and a lot of people I think you know the Hague is a very international city and if you're not you know and if you're not kind of like in the news or very aware of what's going mm-hmm. on like you don't really have any idea why all these tractors are here or that maybe you should be more alert today because there's this protest yeah. going on yeah and also kind of reflects the fact I think these these farmers organizations have sprung up very quickly yeah. on social media no one really knows who's behind them yeah. how they're organized you know these are not sort of like you know, farmers unions or something yeah. been around there's no years. election there's no bestour yeah. So, no, so, yeah so so they didn't really know what they were going to do and sure enough they did play a bit of cat and mouse like with the blockade on the A12 where the police said to them go and park your tractors at Ado Stadium and uh, because there isn't enough space in the Malifelt they said no we're going to plough on to the Malifelt yeah. and literally and when they when they cleared the Malifelt finally when they left on was it Thursday morning yeah. the Malifelt was just a mess yeah, basically it's, it's, it's yeah they had to cancel the there was supposed to be yeah. a Cirque du Soleil performance that they had to cancel the the organiser uh, Mojo said like yeah, yeah we can't get people in and out of here safely I mean yeah it was not a good it was not a catastrophe but it was also like not not great in this mm. this sort of sense it was the same situation as the first um yeah. uh, protest because the, they were supposed to go to the ado stadium as yeah. well but they, mm. the, they did the tractors just went to the yeah. malifeld but yeah, yeah uh, but yeah. the first one they, they had a permit to park 75 i think tractors there and then they ended up with like 1500 and yesterday or on wednesday they weren't supposed to have any tractors there at all and mm. they ended up with like yeah. several thousand for sure i was also wondering if the tractors would be physically able to go to the Binnenhof because it's of course surrounded by all these medieval gates. Yeah. Yeah. So I compared the sizes of the of golden carriage yes. to the standard, standard tractor, tractor. And, yeah. uh, and the tractors could in fact yeah. go They could on fit the through, could they? And uh, there was uh, also some speeches at the protest including a guest, special guest speaker. There yeah. was a yes. surprise guest. Surprise guest, yes. Did anyone guess ahead of time who the <laughs> surprise guest might be? Well, um, this is probably a right-wing populist politician. You would be correct. Uh, and who else could it have been besides our badly quaffed right-wing politician, Herr Wilders? Mm-hmm. Wilders was at the high security courthouse in Schiphol earlier in the day. Um, he wanted to plead with the judges in his racial hatred case to investigate if they are if the charges were politically motivated. The court will consider this, so that verdict has been pushed back. Then he spoke in The Hague. He asked the crowd if they wanted mere off minder regulations, <laughs> hearkening back to the comments that got him in trouble in the first place. Then everyone's favorite nude Instagrammer, Cherry Baudet, also spoke. Actually, it was the other way around. Baudet spoke yes. first and then Wilder spoke second. And so did Hidema as well. Yeah. Terry Hidema uh, addressed the crowd. Yeah. And uh, that was along with some people from the Farmers Defense Force, who is one yeah. of these groups that organized the protests. Yeah. So, um, and what is the government's reaction been so far? Well, it depends on which government. Uh, four provincial governments scrapped new regulations on nitrogen emissions over Isol Drenthe, Groningen, and Friesland. Man, poor Drenthe. It's been a busy week. It's been for a hard time. Having a hard time in Drenthe, yeah. Um, after the protests, 
on Monday. The national government does not seem to have a clear strategy. Justice Minister Ferdinand Krapahaus told the protesters to get off his lawn literally. <laughs> he tweeted protesting farmers should not come to the Binnenhof, the parliamentary complex where they wanted to protest but weren't allowed. Prime Minister told the press that demonstrating is allowed but only if you follow the rules of authorities, which the farmers did not do. MPs held a debate on the topic last night, which didn't really seem to amount to too much. We were sort of talking about that before we came in. There was a lot of like hot air being blown around and not clear plan forward for exactly what they're uh, going to A lot of nitrogen being emitted. You know, so <laughs> a lot of nitrogen Parliament. being emitted. It is quite notable that four of the 12 provinces have now yeah, reversed back on their um, plans to uh, cut nitrogen emissions. Which but means how, can, how can they do that? Because they... Well, the thing is that nothing's been finalised, has it? Well, what, we've, what we've got at the moment is the Remco's report, which has made a load of recommendations of the same. Well, first we have the Council of State ruling, which says you have to cut nitrogen emissions, yeah. effectively. Then Remco's has been sent away to come up with some proposals for how you do that. Mm-hmm. As and you then, always do, as yeah, a good government, yeah, in addition send to that, out uh, Remco's yeah, to come they, up. In addition to that, I think Carolus Houghton said to the provinces, you also have to come up with your own plans. But the provinces came up with the plans before the national government did, and that made mm. the farmers upset. The farmers said you should wait to see what the what the state do before you bring in your own supplementary yeah. measures. Mm. Although and, other okay, provinces, South Holland, for instance, I mean, which of yeah. course is a different uh, province because it's the the population that's not farmer related, that's not agricultural related, is much higher here, right? I mean, Dresden, Overijssel, the proportion of farmers to population is much higher. We're like, yeah, we're we're just keeping on with these regulations. Yeah, but there's farmers. a lot. I mean, even even South Holland's got a big farming population. Yeah. It's a very densely populated province. Yeah, and so, a lot of greenhouses. Yeah, yeah. yeah although greenhouses are not really the issue here. I mean, no. there is some admissions from greenhouses, but the real fundamental problem is livestock farming, yeah. and most of that does not take place in South Holland. And especially when this livestock farming is close to one of these Natura 2000 yes. mm-hmm. uh, areas, yeah. sort of protective environmental areas. Right. So what's the, what's the science of oh, nitrogen it's, emissions? It's all fake news. Nitrogen isn't real. <laughs> Somebody was claiming that nitrogen wasn't real at the <laughs> fucking protest. On Thursday, Wageningen Environmental Research, together with the World Wildlife Fund, released a report that basically said the country as a whole has to reduce nitrogen emissions by 50%. The study mapped out how the so-called Natura 2000, which is what you were just talking about, these are environmentally protected areas, are impacted by nitrogen emissions, and basically, like, the news is not good. 70% of these areas are suffering from too much nitrogen. This kills off native species and encourages uh, invasive species to grow. Livestock farming, by far, is the number one source. It accounts for 40% of the total. And the, the Netherlands is one of the worst emitters in the whole EU. There was this map going around on Twitter mm. of... Uh, hot spots of nitrogen emissions and it's basically like the Netherlands you can't even see where it is on this map because it's just like blurred out by yeah. like the color of the nitrogen yeah, just emissions. kind of cloud of nitrogen yeah, basically. together with yeah. uh it, with this with the sort of agricultural region of Italy and the Catalonia region of Spain, which also yeah. have like a lot of uh, admissions there. Yeah, which is no real surprise when you consider that the Netherlands is one of the world's biggest food producers, even though it's one of, by geography, one of the smaller countries yeah. in Europe. Yeah. What, so what yeah. I found kind of interesting about them, the farmers kind of arguing about the, how the numbers are calculated, is is that the numbers are so dramatically not in their favor that like mm. it, I feel like quibbling about the models. Like, sure, maybe it's 35% instead of 40%, yeah. but you're st- it's still by far the largest contributor like i i found this sort of approach to be kind of uh yeah i don't know sort of an interesting like, yeah, approach this, this is a fundamental problem with the farmer's argument is that they're, they're saying we're being uh, we're being asked to do an un- disproportionately large amount 
um, to, to, yeah, to in, in the name of environmental protection, but actually the, the, it was because they're just disproportionately the biggest polluters. By far the and, biggest polluters. You know, if, you, if you want to tackle a problem, you have to you have to go to the source of pollution, which yeah. is livestock farming. Is there something that we can do? I mean, like us personally, yeah, eat less meat and drive slower, basically. Mm. I mean, you in order to fix this problem, they're going to have to reduce livestock farming right we're just gonna have to have fewer chickens and fewer pigs being grown particularly in like large-scale farming apparatuses in this country there's other suggestions you can reduce speed limits that helps as well this is one of the proposals that came out from the original sort of study on this about what they can do of course that had people including Paul here, very annoyed. Um, the farmers, of course, have been pointing at Schiphol's, uh, saying that they're part of the problem, although the airline industry is only about 1% to 2% of admissions. You know, you can buy more locally. That basically means that stuff doesn't have to be driven in from other places. Use greener building practices. That kinds of stuff has made, you know, can make a difference. You know, at the end of the day, livestock farming is 40% of the problem. So, you know, the rest of this, and it's not like 60% of the problem is Schiphol or something, right? Mm. The rest of it is just broken up among all these, all these other small things. So, you know, there are yeah. some things that can be done but mostly the problem is livestock yeah. farming so i have a question for you guys so uh, how do you guys think the protest went over this week do you think that they helped the farmers cause do you think they hurt the farmers cause like what is your kind of perception about it no it most definitely did not help uh, the farmers cause i think the first protest um it sort of it was uh, sympathetic with something yeah. uh, uh, people you know mm. thought oh that's uh, that's nice look at all these farmers on their tractors yeah. and uh, oh yeah we go we have uh, we have a bit more delay on the on the highways uh, this morning but that's fine it's just uh, one protest but this uh, this latest protest uh, it just sort of ran out of hand on yeah. a couple of occasions a couple of a couple of occasions too much if, if yeah. you ask yeah. me especially uh, driving open uh, you know hitting this door of the provincial yeah. uh, house that we, yeah. there are actually people who are uh, representatives who are, who are working there and you know it just feels very threatening if you have this sort of um, angry mob, angry mob yeah. with, with bitches and 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 and, and torches uh, yeah. uh, in front of you and with tractors so uh, I think that is just a boundary that they overstepped uh, a very clear boundary that they overstepped um, and also uh, other other incidents such as uh, this this tractor who hit a police horse I looked at the footage and it didn't seem like it was a very deliberate action or something it looked more like an yeah. accident mm -hmm. okay that can happen of course uh, but, but I think generally speaking Speaking, they um, this did not help the cause of the farmers. No, the yeah. video of them, Public that this farmer, really yeah, I think it's turned against them. Yeah. The video of them um, in Groningen also, where they were like sort of plowing through these like barricades and yeah. like kicking the barricades up, which were almost hitting cyclists. I think really, I saw a lot of reactions to that. You know, I think cycling is something that everybody basically in this country does, and that's just the idea that mm. like because someone is angry, they're going to plow into some sort of barricade and send a large metal fence like hurtling at your head while you have your kids on the back of the bike. Just I think does not resonate well with people. Yeah, I, I, I think at the start of the week or certainly last week. There was, there was a lot of uh, public support for farmers. You saw people being uh, interviewed saying, I think that's partly because every Dutch person, I think, thinks of themselves as a bit of a farmer. Yeah. You know, it's a very strong sort of national self-image. The farmer yeah. in his clogs out in the fields riding his bike. So, living in a windmill. No, yeah. Living in a windmill. Yeah, it really is kind of part of the sort of national folk, folk image. So yeah. I think because of that, there was, a lot of, there was a lot of latent sympathy for farmers. But I think as the week went on and you saw the farmers doing things like smashing down the door of the um, of the provincial house in Kroninger and you saw them uh, you know, playing cat and mouse with the police in the streets of The Hague, ignoring the rules, not sticking to what they'd agreed in advance. Yeah, I think a lot of the, 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 the tide starts to turn. I think it's going to take a bit more. I think there is still quite a lot of residual support for farmers among 
the population, but if they keep on doing stunts like this and yeah. you know, crossing crossing the lines in yeah. that way and knocking over cyclists. They're but if find... they go back to to demonstrating in the way they did in the first place, yeah. then I think public opinion could, could I think switch it could, back yeah. as well. And yeah. also, the farmers uh, also organized yesterday a uh, sort of a, a breakfast, breakfast, mass breakfast. Yeah. In, yeah. Uh, in it wasn't a cult thing, mass no. breakfast. No, no, no. Cult no. Thing. it wasn't a mass wedding. No, it wasn't a mass no. wedding. A they mass did not breakfast. serve any Kool Aid, as far as we know. <laughs> Uh, they organize it uh, near the Binnenhof and uh, sort of yeah. to say sorry to the people of The Hague yeah. for causing all yeah. these... Uh, yeah, there was a lot of farmers also who had stayed overnight in The Hague and so they were, you know, sort of kind of having yeah. this breakfast, which yeah. I thought was quite a nice... Yeah. I thought was like a pretty good gesture. On yeah. The other thing I found quite interesting was is that, you know, the politicians who spoke at the first protest, they had a bit more of a wide variety. And the ones who spoke at this protest were the Veve yeah. and the Forum for Democracy, which are not typically farmers' political parties. Yeah, that's been really fascinating. <laughs> to me the fact yeah. that Bodea suddenly just got on board with the farmers and you see him riding around in tractors and I think you know a month ago I don't I can't don't know how you could count the fingers think... of one tan the number of times he tweeted about farming yeah. it well, wasn't part of the well that's the days, thing uh, isn't it debt. these parties who are now who now claim to be the sort of the, the heroes of the farmers uh, these are the parties who stopped or declined writing party manifestos yeah. so we cannot go back and see what were your plans yeah. on the yeah. field of agriculture what, what, what were your plans <laughs> Well, we can, go, we can go back to the 2012 party manifesto yeah. of the PVV, which clearly says that mass farming should be... Uh, we should we should stop yeah. uh, allowing mass farmers. Yeah. Um, so if you compare that to what Geert Wilders is now saying on top of a tractor, yeah. then it's a bit different. It's a bit different. Yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's quite clear opportunism, isn't well, it? And, you, and it's interesting as well that these parties are the parties that want to take the Netherlands out of the EU, which of course provides yeah. farmers with the vast majority of their income. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think the perception is sort of you know kind of t- Thomas Friedman talk to like the local person style. So like not I'm not. Based this on like extensive survey data or something is is that people seem to think that the farmers get a lot of subsidies and that generally they probably should food is good we want to support the Mm. farmer farming seems like a really difficult profession they should get some subsidies but the idea now that they're like very upset about regulations is like well okay fine i mean maybe we should have fewer regulations but then in turn you should also get like less money and like Mm. that kind of seems to be the perception because this subsidy is meant for you to deal with all these regulations right exactly or or we just put up the price of milk you know i mean mean, milk is massively underpriced and uh, they're compensated for by the fact that they get all these subsidies. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think if people are listening to this podcast and they say, okay, we want to support farmers, we want to, we want to, but we also want to support sustainable agriculture and people who are doing things responsibly, like you can buy food products, meat products, animal products in particular from a local purveyor who is selling it at a much higher price than it is being sold at the Albert Hine, but that the animals are being treated better, that the the farms are much smaller, so they are much better better able to manage their nitrogen emissions and this sorts of thing. So and that's another interesting point, I think, because this has been promoted as very much a kind of farmers individual, you know, um ZZP farmers um yeah. coming little out mass home protests. Yeah, it's a cute fingers, little family yeah. farms in their clothes. But actually, it's been massively bankrolled by the corporate agriculture yeah, sector. In particular, yeah, in particular, Campina Friesland, yes, right? Yeah. In particular, has paid protests. all these communication costs yeah. of the Farmers' Defence Force, for yeah. example. Yeah. And there's also a new political party that's been founded. Yes. Because yes. of this, there is a, a, a woman from, I think she was formerly a Favid Day yeah. city councillor. Uh, uh, and uh, when, you know, the, the nitrogen um, uh, plans were sort of uh, released, the uh, Remkes uh, Commission came out with this report. She... Uh, she uh, quit 
um, the party, and she started right. her own party. So now we have a, a new farmers uh, political party. So another political party. Another political party. As, as, she, if, as if the week hadn't been bad enough. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. And she uh, is planning to uh, take part of the new Tweede Kamer elections, and she expects uh, three seats at least. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Well, be interesting to see where those seats come from as well. Where they are probably. Yeah, yeah, or will it be a something that's going to pull from the PVV or the yeah. Forum for Democracy? Well, farmers gen- generally vote for CDA or yeah. Christian Union. But so the Christian Union and the CDA are not taking any sort of like forward role on this kinds of thing. No, they were not, not speaking. They're not the ones that are out there. And no. the you know the politicians who were out there are these right wing political yeah. operatives. Although who, I I kind of got the feeling that Wilders did not get a very warm reception from the no, farmers I think because you know they, they, they know that they associate the PVV not with just with the Wilders but also with Dion Kraus. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, is a very fanatical and quite mad uh, animal rights campaign. Well, everybody in the PVV is quite mad, but yeah. And he well, the Orkaus is particularly, particularly mad. mad. Yeah. But he is the sort of reason that the PVV has some oddly pro-animal, like, sort of yeah. legislative yeah. agendas because he is very sort of anti-mega-farming yeah. and anti-these other things. Yeah, it's an interesting... It'll be interesting to see where the chips fall in all of this, I think. Yeah. Where the cows fall. <laughs> the chickens fall. Buy local and uh, eat less meat and drive slower. Yeah. That's yeah. the takeaway. That's it. That's all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. You can also now back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl, and you'll earn yourself a free shout-out on the podcast. My thanks to Gordon Derrick and Paul Paters. I'm Molly Quell. We'll be back next week. Thank you.